Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. Are you ready for a morning jog? Well, I it, it's really, it's, it's almost midday here in West Texas, so it, it's going to be a midday jog here in West Texas, and I don't know if we want to take off on a jog today when it's, what, a hundred and something degrees outside, but hey, guys, we have to, so I need you to, you know, get some water, I need you to drink some water, do a couple of stretches, and I hope you're ready because I know. Some of you are like, we were jogging late last night. I know we were jogging late late last night, but we have to jog again today because we're trying to get to the finish line. All right. We're trying to get to the dramatic conclusion of the book of Jeremiah before the end of August, and it's requiring a lot of work. Now, if you're new, you just tuned in, you have no idea what's going on. Yes, I'm really, 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 really pushing this jogging, running metaphor. I'm really using this as an illustration to describe our attempt to finish the book of Jeremiah by the end of August. So I keep talking about jogging and running and, and I hope, I hope you'll have a little bit of, of mercy and grace and allow me to do that because I'm really trying to get everyone motivated to do our very best. And in a lot of ways, I think the metaphor works. Because I don't know, I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not a person who wants to go outside and run or to jog or do anything like that. It requires a little bit of discipline to say, well, I could sit here on the couch, watch TV, drink a Coke, eat some Doritos, or nope, I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to go outside and I'm going to run two miles, three miles, a mile, whatever the case may be, requires discipline. And Bible study requires the same kind of discipline. You have to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to open my Bible, a notebook, and I'm going to put in the work to try to not only understand the book, but to try to gain spiritual nourishment, spiritual food, to gain spiritual benefit from it. And so we have been working on the book of Jeremiah the entire summer, and we're now fast approaching the end of August, and we have such a long ways to go. So I hope you're ready. I think I'm ready. Are you, are you, yeah, are you ready? I, let's all be ready and let's see what we can do. So, so we need to do a proper introduction, don't we? All right. So I apologize. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, August the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 1134 a.m. Central Time. And I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Late last night, we finally made it to Jerem. We finished Jeremiah chapter 26. What we're going to try to do in this episode is cover Gen- uh, Jeremiah chapter 27, Jeremiah chapter 28, and Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, tonight at Victory Baptist Church, we will go backwards again, and we will go back to Jeremiah chapter 23 and cover that. Now, here's what we're doing. We have been trying to cover these chapters in a very in-depth way, basically trying not to skip any verse. We've been trying to cover as much as possible throughout the entire summer, but we're running out of time. So I've got to start making some editorial decisions. What are we going to cover? What are we going to skip? To try to help us at least cover as much as possible, we are utilizing the teaching of the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee and from uh, from his ministry through the Bible radio. 
Now, Through the Bible Radio has given us permission to use his content, and we're very grateful for that. But what we are doing really is we're not just playing it. Now, I could. I could just turn on... I could just go live and say, here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee covering Jeremiah 27 through 29, or whatever the case may be, but we're kind of walking through it. We are listening to him. I'm offering my own thoughts and perspectives. Sometimes I agree. Sometimes I disagree, which hopefully is being beneficial, but it is helping us cover a lot of ground quickly because he covered a lot of chapters well, he had to skip around because he was trying to teach the entire Bible in a five-year time period. So in many cases, he's skipping large segments. But still, we're getting kind of an overview of some of these chapters. So we backed up. We've cut, we've used Dr. J. Vernon McGee to cover chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Now we're going to use him to, uh, to cover 27, 28, and 29. I've also worked on chapter 20, 21, and 22. Tonight, I'll be working on chapter 23, Sunday at Victory Baptist Church. Uh, I don't know what chapters we'll be, we'll be covering. I'm going to have to skip some things. I, I don't know exactly how we're going to make this all work, but I know this. One way or the other, we're going to make sure all the chapters are covered, and it may be a mixture of different things. Sometimes it may be Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I may be using other random sermons to do a sermon review and to just add to the teaching. I'll be doing my own teaching. Maybe we'll do some devotional messages. It's going to be a mixture of things that we're going to throw together to try to get us to some kind of a dramatic conclusion by the end of August. It's going to be a, a, a whole lot of different things, but hopefully it will keep it interesting, informative, and spiritually beneficial. All right. So late last night, we, in fact, we went till early this morning. I think we ended at around 1230 a.m. So we ended around 1230 a.m. in a sense with a late night, early morning jog. We finished Jeremiah chapter 26. There's so much I want to go back and cover, so much he skipped, but we're just going to let him get us through chapter 27, 28, and through 29, and hopefully this will be beneficial. So your Bible's open, notebook's open. Let's see how far we can get, and let's see what kind of benefit we can gain from it. And remember, I am begging you, before the end of August, please read the entire book of Jeremiah. If you can't read it, find an audio Bible, listen to them, read it. Just do, try to get the entire book of Jeremiah into your mind as much as possible by the end of August, please. And feel free to go back and listen to everything we've done. If there's something, there's a section in Jeremiah that you've got questions about or you're struggling with or, or you just think is interesting and you want to hear more teaching on, you need to email me that as soon as possible so I can try to fit it in before the end of August. Because by the time we get to the end of August, we, we need to spend some time in the book of Lamentations. We have to cover Lamentations in some way, shape, or form. And then we've got plenty of other series that we need to start. So we've got a lot to do. Very little time to get it done. So let's do this. Are you ready? Here we go. The late Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We are grateful to Through the Bible Ministries, who has allowed us to use his content. We are grateful. Here we go. Let's see what we can learn. Thinking caps on. Pencils in hand. Notebooks open. Let's dig in to Jeremiah 27, 28, and 29. Here we go. Now, when you come to chapter 27 here, 
And so in this same period, it's in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And it's agreed by scholars that this actually came not only then, but came with great force to this man Zedekiah, the worst of the kings, but they're all in the same boat, by the way. Now, the message is to go out again to all the nations that they are to yield to the king of Babylon. And this man, Jeremiah, he illustrated it. He put a wooden yoke around his neck, and he sent yokes to all of these others. You are to bow to the king of Babylon. Verse 8, "...it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand." And they now are to yield. This is the one clear voice, and this voice is a clear-cut voice, that they are all to yield to the king of Babylon. And had they done that, which they didn't do, they would have saved human life, literally by the thousands. I want you to hear that. They're, what they are told to do is to literally submit to this pagan nation coming to bring judgment upon them. And can you imagine if uh, if American Christians were told, hey, 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 we got to submit to this ungodly government. We have to, Christians today would rise up and say, no, we will not do so. We're going to stand for, we will only submit to godly government. Well, here they're told to submit to the Babylonians. They were told to submit to the Babylonians. It's something, it's just interesting that over and over and over and over in the Bible, we're told to submit to, 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 to the government. We are told to submit, even when it's ungodly. And I know someone's going to quote from Acts saying, but, 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 there comes a time when we say we are to obey God rather than man. Please note who they were standing up against in that passage in the book of Acts chapter 5. They weren't standing against civil authority. They were standing up against religious authority, just so that you, you know, are aware of that. All right, but let, let's, let's see where this goes. Now, in chapter 28, this prophecy of the yokes continues. And in this, this man Hananiah, the prophet, his prophecy was this, verse 2, chapter 28. I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them away. And he'd bring back even Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim. Well, the fact of the matter is that Jeremiah made it clear that Hananiah was not a prophet of God, and he told him that he was a liar. That's a nice way of treating a false prophet, but that's what he said to him, that he was a liar, and that he would die inside of a year. And you know what happened? Verse 15 now, chapter 20, Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, I'll cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. I want you to see how fast Dr. J. Vernon McGee is going through these chapters. 
And he's going through these chapters this fast because he's trying to finish the entire Bible in five years. So I understand. So it, it gives us just a little bit about what happened. Chapter 27, they're told they got to submit to Babylon 28. You have a prophet come along saying, no, 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 no. We're going to break this yoke. We're going to break this bondage. Everything's going to come back. Well, everything's going to be good. Well, because they're the false prophet. So a lot of times when you're dealing with, just as a Christian, if we're going to apply this to your life, what do you do when you're living in a time where there's ungodly government, ungodly, you know, even persecution, what what do you do when you have some Christians saying, we should submit and do it this way, and others like, no, don't submit, we stand against it, and we fight it. Which one is the right voice? Both claiming to be the voice from God, both claiming to be a prophet of God. Now, we say it's simple. It's clearly it's Jeremiah. But for the people, they would have been like, well, wait a minute. This man claims to be from God. And he's saying, no, 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 no. We're going to break off the yoke. We don't, we should not submit. And Jeremiah's like, nope, just go out and submit to him. And you're like, what? Wait, who, who is the right person here? That, that, that raises obviously lots of questions. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, it's simple. You just, you just look to the word of God. But both sides would be using the word of God. We saw this during COVID. Some using the word of God saying, we should not submit to any of this. And someone else using the word of God saying, we should. Both claiming to be from God, both claiming to preach the word of God, both using scripture to justify their positions. He died, just as Jeremiah said. Now, you would think that this would alert the people and say, well, look, Jeremiah's the one who's calling the shots. Jeremiah's the one that has the understanding. I believe that we had the greatest opportunity any nation ever had after World War II, and we muffed it. And the reason is this, and I'm not discussing parties now, but we have never had a leader in this country from World War II on, and it's caused this nation to miss the greatest opportunity. We have been listening to the wrong voices, and there should be that voice that comes down through the centuries that speaks with authority. And we've never had anyone like that. And as a result, actually, the great middle class of our nation, as well as other nations, has been corrupted. Now, friends, in this message that we have been looking at that actually concludes the first major section of Jeremiah, why this last chapter, chapter 29, has a little glimmer of light. There's been a great deal of judgment, and there's judgment yet to come that will be mentioned. But here we have a little glimmer of light, and you'll recall that there was that strange thing that Jeremiah enacted out. He took yokes of wood. He put one on himself, and he sent one to each of the kings that were in that surrounding area and told them to bow to Nebuchadnezzar that was coming. Well, of course, the false prophets in Israel said, no, don't agree with Jeremiah because God will never deliver this city into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, and he'll not deliver the temple. Well, already these people here at the time of Zedekiah were paying tribute to the king of Babylon, 
and already one delegation had been taken captive. But the city had not been destroyed, nor the temple. And the people believed it was inviolate, that it was impossible for God to permit that temple to be destroyed. To them, it was a fetish. It was just a good luck charm. And it was that sort of a thing. A great many people carry a Bible just like that today. A great many people think because they're members of a certain church that that is the important thing, that that'll be the thing the Lord will talk to them about someday. Well, then Jeremiah made it clear not only would these yokes of wood be removed, and they were temporarily, that is, Nebuchadnezzar let up in a very fine way here, and he apparently wanted to let the people return, and he would have returned the vessels of the temple and let the people continue. But they went on in their rebellion against God. In fact, Zedekiah at that very moment was plotting to rebel, and he was trying to get the nations to join with him. And they had a mind to join with him in order that they might rebel. Now, Jeremiah tells them that the yokes of wood will be broken, but they're being broken in order that yokes of iron might be put on them. And that when Nebuchadnezzar came this next time, it wouldn't be so easy that he would destroy their cities and take them in captivity. Now, he has a word in chapter 29 of those that went into captivity under Jehoiachin, and this is the word for them. He tells them to go willingly, not to rebel, that the judgment of God has come, that no way of deterring it. And now he says here in verse 10 this encouraging word, "...for thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you." and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. In other words, he predicts now the return back to that land that go into captivity for 70 years. Now, he makes it very clear why they're going into captivity. In verse 23, he says, "...because they have committed villainy in Israel..." and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Even I know, and am a witness, saith the Lord." Now, this is a very, I think, a very remarkable verse. The thing that had happened was that the great middle class in Israel, in Judah, had become corrupt. And they had become corrupt because of the fact that there were a corrupt priesthood and the prophets were false prophets. I would say today that liberalism is absolutely wrecking the church today. It has already done almost a complete job of wrecking the church. church has no influence today whatsoever. And certainly it's away from its main mission of getting out the Word of God. And there went into captivity in that day this great heart section of the nation Israel. And that means the better class of people, to tell the truth. I've emphasized this before, that filthy rich at the top and the 
dirty, poor at the bottom. That group, extreme groups, are the hardest people to reach with the Word of God. And neither group are the backbone of any nation. They are always a destructive force in any nation. And the middle class are the ones. I'd like to give you a line that comes from an Englishman, and it goes back, I think, to World War I, because that's when England, of course, went down. And listen to this word. Princes and lords may flourish or may fade. A breath can make them as a breath has made. But a bold peasantry, their country's pride, when once destroyed, can never be supplied. A time there was, ere England's griefs began, when every root of ground maintained its man. For him light labor spread her wholesome store, just gave what life required, but gave no more. And that's just a little excerpt from that poem. Well, that was the bedrock of England. And that bedrock has apparently been corrupted. And I would say that the Beatles not only did a worldwide job, they did a thorough job to their own nation. And England has gone down as this country must inevitably come down because when the middle class becomes corrupt, and that is the thing now that this man Jeremiah is saying to them, the reason that you're going into captivity is because of the sins of the middle class here, the class that were the backbone of the nation. And this is the thing that has happened to them so that now we see them go into captivity. And that is the thing here that is before us. Now, there is something else we see that has taken place at this time, and that is just simply this, this tremendous verse. The first part has to do the reason of why they went into captivity. And now God makes a strange statement. He says, "...even..." I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. Now, I mentioned last time that the day we were going to mention the fact that this nation has never had an outstanding leader in World War II or today. That has been the thing that's almost characterized this century that we're in. A leader that sees down and has a knowledge of the future. Someone asked Gladstone, the great English jurist, years ago, what was the mark of a great statesman? And he gave this answer. He said, a great statesman is a man that knows the direction that God is going for the next 50 years. Now, that has been the thing that has been lacking in our country today because of the fact that the only one that actually knows today is God. He has all the knowledge. We don't have the knowledge. Now, I'll be very frank with you, and I made this confession last time. I don't mind making it again. I don't want to wear you with it. But the fact today is, and the thing that overwhelms me, 
And it's really a little discouraging. I've been studying the Word of God for many years. But I'm just now getting to the place where I see my ignorance of the Bible. Now, the thing that I think I need, I feel Jeremiah had that problem. Jeremiah, when he stood up, he told what he knew, which was the Word of God. And I try to confine myself to that. But there are certain great principles that are laid down here, and I disagree with Edersheim. He says, history never repeats itself. Well, I think it does repeat itself. At least certain great principles are put down. And God speaks to nations and to individuals in history as well as his word. I believe that history should bear a message to this country. And the reason we do not have leadership today is because men are totally ignorant of God that are in politics today. The woeful ignorance today of the Word of God in this nation is appalling. I read an article by a certain man that I gave you part of it the other day. He called the Bible filled with error and all that sort of thing. What gave him the authority to make a statement like that? Where did he arrive at such an exalted plane that he can sit in judgment on the Word of God? The very fact that a man will move to that position today is, to me, a revelation of woeful ignorance and a presumption and pride that's beyond description. And the same thing if you go in the scientific world. The scientist today who knows is generally an humble man. These folk that speak today, these science teachers in our junior colleges and colleges who know actually very little science, to tell the truth, they speak with such great authority about the evolution of man. Well, what really do you know, you see? Well, I want to come back to this. All I know is what the Word of God says. And God says, I know, and I'm a witness, saith the Lord. Now, God has worked out certain things in history that are quite impressive here, and God speaks to men in history. That's what he's trying to tell these people here. This is the thing that's happening to you because of your sin, because I always judge it. Now, God has not changed. A lot of people would like to think that the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. He's the same person, by the way. hasn't changed a bit. He hasn't even grown old. He hasn't even learned anything. He's the same God you have in the Old Testament. Now, not only has God spoken in history, but God, of course, has spoken in his Word. And that's rather impressive. The thing that, you remember Peter says over in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first. Now, here's something that this is primary stuff. This is what you get in the first grade. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, there are two ways that's been taken that are wrong. One way is that the way that you study prophecy, you put it all together. No prophecy, you to take it by itself and study it to the exclusion of others. Well, I think that's a true statement, but that's not what this passage says. Then there are those that say that you have no right to interpret prophecy on your own. 
that you have no right. Well, that takes away from me not only the First Amendment, but it takes away from me the free will that God gave me. And therefore, I say that that's not what it means. Now, it hasn't anything in the world to do what God is saying here with the end result of his revelation interpreting a passage because it takes away the First Amendment of the Constitution. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But okay, let's let, let's let him finish here. It has everything to do with the origin of it. And what he's saying here, that no writing was a private interpretation as to its origin. That is, these prophets who wrote and spoke in olden time, didn't give you the result of their observations. They were speaking what God told them to speak. And my friend, that's very important to see in this particular passage that we have here. And when you and I can come to the place where actually we are going to lay in the dust, oh, not just the fact that we are a nobody and that we are sinners and all that sort of thing, but we're willing to lay into the dust our opinions, our self-will, our own viewpoint of things, and put it all down and listen to what God has to say. That was the problem with the priests and the prophets in that day. That was the problem with the princess in that day. That was the problem with the people in that day. And I'm not sure, but what that may be the problem in our country today. Every man's got his own little viewpoint, doing his own little thing, carrying his own little placard, protesting his own little thing, and he's doing it out of a limited knowledge. man asked me the other day about a decision that the President of the United States made. Want to know what I thought? Well, I want to say this. What difference does it make what I think? I don't have all the facts that he has. I don't have the background. And today to sit in judgment on God, as some people are doing today, why, it's almost unbelievable that little man stands up and going to say, Now, Lord, if you're up there, and I'm not sure you are, I'm pretty hard to convince down here. You see, I have quite a giant intellect, and my intellect says you may not even be up there. But if you are up there, I just want to say to you, I think you're wrong. May I say to you, <laughs> that's very small potatoes. I can imagine a little old ant that would crawl into my house and crawl upon my chair and look up at me and say, look, I don't like the way you built this house. I don't like the way you plant things around here. I don't like what you eat. You know what I would say to that little ant? I would step on him. That'd be the end of that little ant. But God is so gracious to man, he doesn't step on him. He's going to give him another chance, if you please. Okay, what a... I don't know what to make of how he tries... He finishes Jeremiah 29. I don't understand that. He... Um, 
he he has this thing about the rich and the poor and the middle class. He's got this really weird thing about the middle class, the middle class, and it's the rich and the and the and the really really dirty poor, the dirt poor that that has all the problems. It, it's a weird thing. So he brings that up. I don't know what he do, does with Jeremiah twenty nine. He could have used that time to actually talk about the chapter. He did not, but he did bring up a couple of important things that we will discuss here. Actually coming from the text, more going back to 27 and 28. He didn't do a lot in 29, but this this is very important. This is so very important. As you go through Jeremiah, you see this situation develop. And this is for, this is, I think, maybe a very important practical lesson. And I wish many Christians would have remembered this lesson over the last few years. Here, God is telling the, telling Jeremiah, Hey, judgment is coming upon these people and it's going to come through the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, this, this pagan nation. And what the people are to do, they are to submit themselves to the pagan nation. They are to do so. Put a yoke upon yourself. Show them that they are to submit to the yoke. They are to submit to it. They're not to fight against it. They're not to rebel against it. They are to just submit themselves to it. And the people don't want to do that. And then you have false prophets coming going, no, 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 no. do not submit. You have Zedekiah. No, we're going to fight. We're going to rebel. And as a result, people die and they suffer because they would not submit. Well, in our culture and within American Christianity, I, I mean, I've never seen such a massive theological change, I think, in, in a practical way in my lifetime. Because my whole life, all I ever heard was, we must obey the laws of the land. We must submit to the government. The gov- No government is put in place apart from God's sovereign plan. God is the one who put them there. To, re- to rebel against the government is to rebel against God. We should submit. And then all of a sudden, COVID happened. And then I was told, no, 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 no. Romans 13 doesn't mean what it seems to be saying. We only submit to godly government. We don't submit to ungodly government. We must rebel. We must fight. We can call them names and we don't have to do what they tell us. And and we we are to stand against it. And you're like, well, wait, what just happened? Well, because we didn't like the, we didn't like what the government had to say anymore. And so we were not going to submit to it. But here in Jeremiah, they're literally told to submit to a pagan government, to submit to it. And that's the same thing you find in the New Testament over and over, whether it's Paul or whether it's Peter, telling people to submit to a government that was not godly. But then there's always going to be those voices, even within the world of Christianity, that says, no, no, you don't. So so what do you do? Well, you've got to figure out what the Word of God says, and sometimes you can't listen to what everyone else is telling you what it means. But everyone's going to tell you they know what it means. How do we understand that? I, and and, and I, look, I, I didn't even think it all the way through on Sunday. Now I feel like I would have, I should have even doubled down more so on my sermon on Sunday, when, when the sermon was over on Sunday, you know, because I, I had not slept in days and everything that was going on here, I'm not going to go back into all those, those details. 
but I felt like, man, I, I think I lost the narrative here. I think I lost the plot. But I really, now that I'm thinking about it, I did not. I was kind of foreseeing where the book of Jeremiah was going. Maybe in chapter 22, where I point out all of these kings are evil, that, uh, and then I start talking about how, uh, what our, what is our responsibility as Christians to a, an evil or ungodly government. And I went through Romans 13 and Peter and Timothy, and I looked at these passages. I, I, in a sense, I was trying to prepare us for what's coming in the book of Jeremiah. I, I didn't, I didn't catch on to that immediately, but I, I definitely, I, now that I look back, I think I made the right decision to go there because we're going to have to talk about it a lot. As a Christian, you can't, you can't, God establishes the rules and the rules are simply submit to that government. And in this case, this is a practical situation, submit to it. You say, well, is there ever a time to disobey? I'm not saying there's never a time, but that's obviously, look here. They're not told to rebel. They're told to submit. They're saying, well, that's just that particular situation. Paul tells the people in the church of Rome to submit. Peter tells the people in his time to submit. It's repeated over and 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 over again. Like at some point you think you should catch on. Well, then people, everybody wants to go to Acts. Well, see, see, they didn't obey there. They didn't obey the religious leaders telling them that they, they could, you know, telling them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And people, people rip this out of context. So I think this is something we really, really need to consider is that over, that in the book of Jeremiah, what God's plan is for the people is, hey, don't defend yourself. Don't fight back. Don't stay within the walled city for your own security. You just go out and you submit yourself completely to the pagan nation coming to bring judgment upon you. Now, I think there's a spiritual picture there, obviously, but there's a practical lesson. And some people will say, well, well, the, the ungodly government was, was doing these horrible things to us during COVID. Maybe it was God's judgment upon us. Maybe we should have submitted to the judgment and then see what we could learn from it. That's one of the things I kept saying at the beginning of the pandemic, as this is an opportunity for all of us to use it as a time to look at our own lives, to look at our own church, to look at our own spirituality and to see what we can repent of and what we need to confess and that we can spend time in prayer and fasting and study and that we could come out of it better spiritually. But no, 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 no. It turned into fighting, arguing, conspiracy theories, rebellion, and we're going to take a, and we're going to make a point and we're going to prove a point. It became about making a point and then actually being humbled before the mighty hand of God. If God is sovereign, if God is completely in charge, well, then isn't God in charge of what was happening? But instead of humbling ourselves, we wanted to puff ourselves up like we're going to fight against it. I think you really need to spend some time in Jeremiah thinking about these chapters where it's like, no, go submit. And then you got a prophet saying, no, 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 don't submit. We're going to break the yoke. We're going to make, and, and Jeremiah's like, no, you're going to die. You're going to die with it. And well, the prophet dies. I think that's, I cannot stress the importance of that now. Like I, I, I didn't realize on Sunday in a, in a certain way, I was, I was kind of 
looking ahead to where Jeremiah was going to go, but I wasn't, I'm not saying I was so insightful that I, I, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just like, what do I do with this chapter with all of these evil kings mentioned? What do I do? Well, I, okay, this is, well, in a roundabout way, I should have saved some of that for 26, but we'll talk about it more, but it's something I really want to drive home here. Because the church decided that we're going to fight. We're going to stand up. We're gonna, it's about us. We, we didn't think about other people. We didn't think about, we, we put our rights before other people. It, it was all about us, 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 us. We lost it. Now, here's the reason I think we lost the plot and we lost, lost it all. I think here's the reason we, we completely failed that spiritual test. If you want to look at it that way. Dr. J. Vernon McGee said at his time that liberalism was destroying the church. Liberalism was destroying the church. That was way back when he was teaching through the Bible. Here's what I believe happened. Liberalism in many cases, uh, and liberalism as far as a theological liberalism, did creep into many mainline denominations at that time in many seminaries, and it did corrupt them, and they basically abandoned historical Christianity. So there was a, so they, they, liberal theology destroyed many of the mainline denominations. There's no question about it. They begin to abandon the fact that the Bible is the inspired word of God that brought in higher criticism from Europe. It was a major problem. And this started in the early 1900s and it, it just continued, continued. This is where it gave birth to the rise and the rise of the fundamentalist movement fighting against this. This was a liberal theology that came in. Now, once these churches, uh, gave in to this liberal theology, they abandoned historical Christianity. Once they abandoned historical Christianity, then of course they would turn into more social uh, gospel and, and maybe more liberal political views, but they had already abandoned Christianity. So I never look at those liberal churches anymore and say, see what liberalism will do because they, they've already abandoned Christianity. But here's what happened. The li- liberal theology crept in. Liberal theology crept in, corrupted these churches, and they begin to adapt a more, let's say, adopt a more liberal political viewpoint. Fine. But here's our problem in 2023. And this has been a problem now for five or six years. Conservative churches that have conservative theology, biblically, biblical based theology, somewhat rooted in historical Christianity, those churches are being hijacked by not a conservative theological perspective, but a political conservative perspective. And they are merging their conservative political perspective with their theology and they're corrupting their theology. And they're becoming a politically hijacked church. So it, it's kind of rever- it's working in a, in a different way. In the past, it was liberal theology which corrupted the churches that made them vulnerable to then a more liberal political viewpoint. In the modern day, and in, in, in our day, what happened is conservative churches so then bought into a conservative political viewpoint that they tried to merge that with their conservative theology and they corrupted their conservative theology and have become now politically hijacked, politically politically compromised and are more focused on politics and culture wars and winning a political battle at the expense of historical biblical Christianity. And that's what I've been saying for such a very, 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 very long time. It's funny how things have changed. 
But we got many in the conservative church still yelling about liberal politics and woke ideology. You better look at how conservative politics are corrupting your own theology and your own church. And Christians today, many of them are more biblically illiterate than they've ever been. They still scream a little bit about Jesus. They still talk about it, but they do so through the lens of a conservative politic. They're more, they're, they're more in line with a conservative political thinking than they are with a biblical way of thinking. And that, and because it's a, now, it, it, because the government, if it's a quote unquote liberal government and they say do this or do this, do that. Now, conservative Christians like, I'm not going to submit to the liberal government because I'm only to submit to a right conservative government. And, I, and guess what they've done? They've corrupted the entire teaching of scripture where we have an example here in Jeremiah. Well, hey, no, no, no. Those Babylonians go submit to them. Wait, what? Now, yeah, go submit to them. No, no, we're going to fight. We're going to rebel. No, no. Submit to them. No, we're not going to do it. Okay, well, then you're going to die. Now, someone's going to say, well, isn't there a time that we stand up? I'm not. Look, whenever that is, even I've said it before, even when we're trying to take a stand, we are to still follow all of the rules. We are to love our enemy, turn the other cheek. We are to do all of those things that we talked about in Romans 13. All those, we, we are to do all of those things. Put others before ourselves. Give up our rights for the benefit of other people. These are things that, these are like basic Christian teaching. And everybody wants to just figure out, when can I argue? When can I fight? When can I stand up? Not what can I do to live peaceably with all men? How can I show love to my enemy? How can I do good unto those who would persecute me? How can I put others before myself? How can I think about others before my own rights? How can I give up my own rights for the benefit of other people? No, nobody wants to talk that way. Because if you do, supposedly you're liberal because the church has been so blinded with a conservative political politic. These chapters in Jeremiah are powerful. I hate that he went through them so fast. I don't know what he was doing in Jeremiah 29. I don't know what Dr. J. Vernon McGee was doing there. That was such a weird approach to 29. It, I don't even know if we really covered 29. I don't, I don't know. It, it was so, I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, what are you doing? Could you, could you stay focused on Jeremiah chapter 29? But I understand when you get into these chapters and you're trying to, you're trying to deal with the, all the realities here, but yet make it practical. You can, you can make some of these mistakes. I'm looking here. I don't think, I think I took it downstairs. Nope. I have it right here. I have it right here. I can guarantee you this. Tonight, um, at 7 p.m. Central Time, if everything works out right, we're going to be all and all about Jeremiah 23. So we're going to go backwards, all about Jeremiah chapter 23. And I guarantee you, when we get to Jeremiah 29, we will definitely cover it because the uh, Explore the Bible Study Guide that we've been kind of using as kind of a kind of a guide, I mean, loosely, we'll definitely will cover Jeremiah 29 in much more detail than he did. Um, and then we will definitely cover uh, 30, 31. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we definitely have a guy. So I'll, I definitely will make up for that. We'll spend probably a little bit more time in 26 and 27. We will see. We will see. But uh, today at, at 7 p.m., it's all going to be Jeremiah 23. That's what we're definitely going to focus on that. So that, that got us, 
That, that covered a lot of issues. What I would just challenge you to do, even if you've read Jeremiah already this summer, just spend some time reading Jeremiah 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. And if there's anything there that you think stands out, anything that you would like to cover, let me know. Or anything from 20 all the way to the end of the book. If there's just anything, because I want to, I don't, I want to make sure I do everything I can to ensure that you get all the teaching you need so that you have as much understanding as possible. But there are some things there that should convict you. And what would you do? And just honestly, what would you do if you lived at that, at that time? And the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are coming to take you, take your family. What would you do? Would you submit? Would you submit? Would you submit? Would you just lay down and say, that's it, I, I, I submit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept the yoke. We're going to go into bondage. My family, or would you fight? And if you had other people around, other, other prophets saying, no, 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 we're going to break the yoke. If you had the king saying, no, no, we're going we're gonna to find other nations to work with and we're going to rebel. Would you have been a support of the rebellion and the not submitting? Or would you have been listening to Jeremiah going, okay, then I'll just lay down and surrender. And I'll leave the city and go give myself over to the cap to, to the captors. What what would you have done? And well, would you have been right or would you have been wrong? What do you think would happen in the American church in 2023? Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for this little morning afternoon jog. We've we got to chapter 29. We got a long ways to go and we'll get there using all kinds of different things and materials and, and content to get us as close to possible, finishing these chapters, hopefully in a strong and powerful way. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.